everyone, welcome to Stranger Things with Jay, Jack, and Mike. My name is Jay. My name is Mike. And I'm Steve Bye Bye Balboni. And welcome to the show. How's it going, gentlemen? All right, Jack. Two for two. You need to explain to me what that means. <laughs> I, I knew you guys wouldn't get that one. Uh, there used to be a guy for the Royals and Yankees who was uh, Steve Bal- Balboni, and he had home runs, lo- long home runs. So they go, Steve, bye-bye, Balboni. Or it was because he was going back and forth between the minor leagues and major leagues. I don't, I don't really remember, but when Steve is wheeling that bat, he, he spins it around. See, I... Yeah, I would have gone with, and again, this is my very, very limited knowledge of the baseball world, but you could have gone with like a Jose Bautista bat flip, because I feel like that's what Steve is doing a little bit. With, he did have yeah, a little bit know, of the twirl of the bat there. It's more, more like a Tito Fuentes, well well before your time. but uh, I, know, um, I, know, I know Tito Puente, the uh, Latin artist. Tito Fuentes. He used to bounce the bat on the uh, butt end of the bat on the uh, home plate and then spin it around and catch it. Well, uh, with that, we do we do have the redemption of Steve. Uh, I think uh, in these yes, last the two top episodes. story out of these last two episodes <laughs> is really Steve. Steve is the crowning hero. All hail the conquering Steve. Did did, did Steve have like beef jerky on the side of his face? What did he take that bad of a beating? Uh, do you remember yeah, the beating was, that he got? <laughs> I, I just was like, I don't know. He wasn't letting I, up. At least, his friend, at least going. his friend brought him a can of Coke. I mean, what, what, what I never to... understand when it comes to these types of fights that happen in TV and film is that uh, maybe I'm just a weak-willed individual in every sense of the phrase, but <laughs> if I got my ass beat like that, I would be laid out. I would not be trolloping along with my friends doing anything, uh, let alone, you know, when he gets called into the moment, he'll decide to really act up, and as we said, become the true hero that Stranger Things needs. But at the same time, like, I would have gone, like, straight home and just put an ice pack on my face and say, that's, all right, that, I'll call it a day there. I think, that, that, I, think that, I'm, I don't want to go outside anymore. That's why you're not in TV, because you can take a pounding in the face like that, like a hundred punches, but if you get hit in the back of the neck or the back, you're automatically knocked out. Is that have you ever thing? seen that? Have you ever seen every TV show where they hit you in the back of the head? Oh, you're automatically yeah, you knocked get out. knocked out. You're right. You're you right. get knocked out, but you Steve gets punched in the face, what, 100 times? <laughs> Close to well, it. In all fairness, and, not only did uh, he get soda, he also got, it looks like, some Tylenol. So maybe that was the magic elixir there. Okay. Yeah. For, for Steve, that let him get right back into the game. Hopefully um, that wasn't the Tylenol killer. I mean, that, that could have been scary, too, for Steve. Uh, well, we have the final two chapters of Season 1, uh, only a few days before Season 2 drops this Friday, the 27th. Uh, the second season of Stranger Things drops, and the reviews so far, the reviews are starting to trickle in, and the reviews are very, 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 very positive uh, for the sequel to Stranger Things, um, which is unique about this show is that the Duffer Brothers are uh, dubbing this uh, second season a sequel. So it's Stranger Things 2. It's not the second season of Stranger Things. It's Stranger Things 2. Um, so no better uh, discussion to have right now than wrapping up season one, um, as well as we have watched both trailers uh, for uh, the uh, sequel to Stranger Things, and we'll be um, discussing those at the end. Not all of this. Jack, you had, you had what? I, I, wa- I watched one of them. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I, I We've been like recording going. a day later. You're such a slacker. I three like minutes. Go. You could take it three <laughs> minutes out of your packed day, Jack, to watch a YouTube trailer. I had. I had to. Uh, I had work. Uh huh. I, I was mm-hmm. busy. I. I had to sing Daniel Tiger all day. No, I. Did, I don't like to watch the trailers that much. I just... Yeah. Yeah. You had one job to do. Well, anyways, Mike I, and I will talk about both trailers. Yes. I. What I will say about I do. I am generally in agreement with you, Jack, about trailers, especially for movies, and I because I feel like there's become this, and not to go on too much of a tangent because we have a lot of amazing content to talk about, but I feel like there's sort of been this epidemic in cinematic trailers of almost giving away too much of how the movie is going to go, I guess to try to like really hook people into going so much so that it kind of spoils the way that the movie is going to function. I feel like that happens less so in TV just because you have a much longer ratio in terms of number <laughs> of hours compared to the amount that's being shown on the trailer that, you know, the, you're, you're not, uh, you're, they're not showing you too, too much because there's so much content or else you'd have to make like a 30 minute trailer in order to really encapsulate everything. So well, I do see why you would do that for, I don't know, no offense to, you know, Owen and Bruce barbecue here on the Jane Jack Network, but I can understand why you're like, I'm not going to watch the Star Wars trailer until the movie comes out. 
I think you should watch the both Stranger Things trailers just because you're going to watch what, like six minutes of clips out of a combined eight hours of total nine hours. TV it's nine time episodes. Gonna... This, this oh, it's season. nine, yeah, an nine. extra one. Well, there's you got to you got to take away the opening theme, so that's so. Is it really nine hours? Excuses, excuses. You're like you're like the kid that didn't turn in his homework. It's like, well, really, I just don't believe in homework. That's why I didn't do no. it. Um, but uh, well, we, Jack, uh, Mike and I will be talking about those, and Jack can just do his best to try and keep up. We have, uh, and we're also going to be recapping uh, these two episodes and digging into those. Um, we have a lot to do, so let's just jump into it, gentlemen. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yes, I I did watch both these episodes. So. Wow, Jack, I'm proud of you. Um, first up is Chapter 7, The Bathtub. Lucas warns Mike via walkie-talkie that the government agents are en route. Mike, Dustin, and Eleven flee the house. Eleven telekinetically flips a van that blocks their path, and the kids escape. Lucas reconciles with Mike and Eleven. Joyce and Hopper are called to the police station because of Jonathan's assault. Jonathan and Nancy reveal their knowledge of the monster to Joyce and Hopper. The group contacts Mike and his friends, and they rendezvous. They ask Eleven to search for Will and Barb, but her earlier feats have left her too weak to find them. To amplify Eleven, uh, Eleven's powers, they break into the middle school and build a sensory deprivation tank. Eleven finds Barb's corpse with a slug-like creature crawling out of her mouth. With Joyce's Ugh. help, she finds Will alive, hiding in the upside-down Castle Byers, his backyard fort. Hopper and Joyce break into Hawkins' lab, but are apprehended by security guards. Nancy and Jonathan resolve to kill the monster and steal their hunting gear back from the police station. In the upside down, the monster breaks into the fort where Will is hiding. So let's jump into the top moments from this episode. We got to start with the van flip. When I watched uh, the chapter six and it ends, I was like, I got to just watch the beginning of the bathtub because it's just one of my favorite moments. It's so E.T., but it was just such an awesome, awesome action opening to this chapter. Uh, What do you guys think about it? I mean, this has to be the most expensive thing they probably did in this season, right? I would say, you know, outside of the CGI stuff, this stuff remained relatively low budget, so much so that the Upside Down is supposed to be constructed as the exact same set, but shaded differently. But, uh, I mean, this was an incredible, uh, just, a- as you said, an action piece, uh, especially just the the badass aspect of it all and the representation of the fact that here comes this big bad man van barreling down the street and Eleven just stops everything cold with her mind. Uh, but you have to imagine it cost them a pretty penny in order to get this done, but totally worth it. Well, I mean, how much would one of those old Econoline vans cost? I mean, really? Maybe maybe they're saving some money by, you know, using these old 80 vans uh, that are just laying around in warehouses somewhere. I, I, had a couple, I had a couple questions, though. The Okay, when, when the van flips over and lands on its, the, the hood, I mean the roof of the car... Nobody seems to rush in and help the the guys inside the van. Am I am I right? Well, in all fairness, Doctor Brenner feels like if you've seen so far in this season, yeah, uh, he doesn't care too much about his employees. And I hate to pick on the mom again, and I hate the whole family, the dad, and all that stuff. But okay, Mike comes running in and says, "Okay, hey, if anybody asks, I've left the country. I'm all this different stuff. These vans are squealing outside her driveway. Doesn't seem to phase her. She finally goes downstairs." into the basement and goes, oh, blonde hair. I mean, uh, is this mom just clueless? There's uh, a whole family Yes, clueless? but let's, let's, let's not harp on the family. Let's, let's enjoy and savor uh, this, no, this heroic moment for I think you have to harp on that. Um, be, <laughs> because uh, it's just such a cool scene. Like, it's so uh, big and, and, and grandiose and super powery. Um, and then it it goes right into you know Lucas and Mike and Eleven making up, uh, which is kind of you know the team getting back together. Um, and uh, it, it was just it's a, a really cool, really cool action piece. Um, bad parenting, uh, not notwithstanding here. <laughs> but uh, well, how often does she do laundry? I think the washer and dryer down there. Anyway. I, I think it's just one of those things where if you if you dig too far into that, it might ruin the show for you, Jack. But I don't know. That's just me. Well, that's why I won't watch the uh, the trailers. The previews, yeah, there you the go. trailers. Whatever. Oh yeah, no, 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 Jack. The trailer, the second trailer. Oh my God, it goes so much. It's all about the mom's perspective. It just <laughs> follows her throughout her day. They do a, a little like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead esque type of thing where we follow her time through the events of Stranger Things season one. Can't miss. I swear, you just you just gotta All watch right, it now. I, I gotta stop recording and go watch it. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, so we we have that. Um, any other big ET fans here? Definitely uh, smacked of, of ET, just in terms of the the uh, the government organization following them. In the original, it's uh, they the, the, the adults are following them with guns. In this case, what they're if, following with guns. And, uh, no, and, walkie-talkies, Jay. Walkie-talkies. Yeah, that's, that's the retcon version. That's the retcon. Now, now, would it would it have been uh, would it have been a uh, too much if they had flown over the vans? I was yeah, gonna say this, this is this is the much more violent version of that. <laughs> from ET. But it even had it kind of similar just the way that, that Spielberg shot it, where it's like uh, it gets like a closer shot, closer cl- shot, closer shot of uh, ET and uh, Elliot, where it's kind of similar to Eleven, where it's just kind of like closer shot, closer shot, closer shot. So I just, it's a cool homage. Um, even though they're flying, really they're still pedaling their bikes. So uh, yes, yes. Um, but anyways, uh, awesome scene, awesome scene, um, and then we have Lucas, Mike, and Eleven making up. Uh, I know this uh, really weighed heavy on you, Mike, so this must have been nice uh, to see. Yeah, I was again. Uh, I don't want to see these people fight. Uh, I mean, we're gonna have my much bigger hallelujah moments coming up very soon in the episode. But I was very happy that 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 struggle lasted what like an episode and a half, which again just speaks to the very clipped uh, but exciting nature that these episodes provide. Um, and then after that, with Joyce and Hopper uh, connecting with Jonathan and Nancy and them revealing their knowledge, we finally have the moment that Mike's been waiting for, the team's merge. Thank good. I mean, the Survivor fan in me is always <laughs> waiting for a merge, and it finally <laughs> happened. It's been a long pre-merge, but I'm satisfied <laughs> with it. Um, uh, yeah, so I mean, did it... Because I know it, it, it's something you've been talking about, the theme of the, the season so far from your perspective. Was it satisfying in, ter- in terms of how they all came together in this episode? It didn't last long. <laughs> it, but it, it, I was going to say in this episode, because <laughs> I think you were about just about to say, because then we begin episode eight, which I absolutely adored, by the way. But then it's like, oh, here are the teenagers again. Oh, the adults go this way. Oh, the kids go this way. So it was nice to get this little taste of this sort of like Avengers or Justice League <laughs> type of thing where it's, oh, these people are finally working together. You know, I, I and, but I think the the main takeaway I have from these last two episodes especially is that it, looking at these really makes you sort of look back on the journey we got to, to this point with uh, much more of like a, a warmer gaze upon it, if you will, just because, mm. again, we spent a lot of time with everyone apart, but then you get this moment where Jonathan and Nancy, you know, show the pictures to Hopper and Joyce, and it makes sense why they would click, because they've been out searching and they've found out their own stuff about, you know, the, the Terry Ives of it all. So it makes sense that all the pieces are sort of clicking together, you know? You can't really poke many holes in this idea of like, okay, yeah, we'll build a sensory deprivation tank, because everyone <laughs> has sort of exploded, explored on their own for six episodes. They sort of have gathered their own pieces of information. Now they're finally colluding to put those pieces of information together to really form this puzzle of a grand plan. So... I mean, I was happy about it on so many levels in terms of both concept and execution. Well, yeah, and you see that just moments like of, of you know, uh, kind of uh, uh, Nancy and Mike reconnecting or they're kind of talking about, you know, uh, each other's crushes. I know you're probably ugh for that, Mike, but uh, uh, <laughs> I, I thought that was sweet. Um, uh, Joyce and Jonathan kind of having that moment. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot uh, of good stuff there um, as they kind of came together and put their heads together. Um, to try and find Will and R.I.P. Barb. Um, next up, again, this is this is an episode well, wait, for. Wait, go ahead, Jack. Wait, was this the episode where they said there were like six people? He said Brenner says there's six people missing uh, that have been I taken. I believe that might be at the beginning of episode uh, chapter eight. Yeah, when, uh, I okay, believe it's, it's when it's when Brenner's talking to, uh, as Jack would put it, the negligent dumb dumb parents. Okay, all right. <laughs> no, we'll wait. For, we'll wait for that because that's another great scene. Um. Uh, again, it's, this episode just seemed to be uh, the, everything that Mike was uh, looking for. We have Mr. Clark uh, returning yes. in a very funny fashion, uh, and he doesn't shut down the curiosity door. Uh, I mean, this is uh, I love also the progression of the Dustin character. I don't know if we'll talk yeah. about it at the very end, but I loved this sort of bookend of beginning the story with when they're in the D&D situation, you know, it's the whole cast fireball and Dustin says, no, we need to put up a protection spell. So you can tell he's kind of like a guarded, you know, very sort of shy, uh, afraid kid. But now at this point, he's really in his element. He was telling Mike and Lucas to essentially cut the BS. He's 
really spinning a yarn to Mr. Clark about how, as you mentioned, you know, the, the curiosity door can't be closed. Uh, so you need to tell me how to build a sensory deprivation tank. Take a break from <laughs> watching sci-fi movies and giving fun little pop-up video facts with your girlfriend <laughs> late night. Uh, so I, I think this is Dustin has really come to shine in the latter half of the season. And it shows again at the very end where it's no longer fireball versus cast protection. It's fire. Like, let's throw a fireball. Then Dustin says, oh, yeah, we're going with the fireball. So <laughs> that's such a fun, like very subtle change in character that I really enjoyed watching. Yeah. And um, and building the uh, sensory uh, deprivation tank. I, I just love that with the, the waiting pool. If anybody's ever had those things. I, it's amazing that it's still together, but putting it out as they're trying to do, I thought it was just a funny aside to those old uh, waiting pools. I don't know if they make those anymore, but um, that was a fun uh, retro moment. Uh, I, I know you probably remember those, Jack, because we, we had those a lot as a kid. Yes, I do. <laughs> so what what did you have to do? Did like one person have to hold on to the size to keep the structure you while kinda, you filled it up with enough water? Yeah, yeah. you kind of had to get just get it just right with the amount of water in it while holding it, and eventually it would support itself, but it was... It was uh, just this balancing act just to get it just right. And then it would get a hole in it with like if a slight breeze came by. So <laughs> <laughs> they were they were a blast. <laughs> um, so with the tank, Eleven finds uh, Will and Barb. But uh, Barb, which I th- we kind of all assumed um, Barb I- is uh, is dead, um, unfortunately. And Nancy uh, goes, <laughs> OK, I'm better. But I, one thing I loved about this scene was um, the difference for Eleven here, and she actually had kind of love and compassion um, from Joyce and Joyce. Uh, and just the, the, the reassurance that she was giving her. And um, I, it was a very emotional uh, bond that I think they had uh, throughout this and, and something that Eleven never had before. Yeah, I, I, I loved, again, one of the other reasons why I loved everyone coming together is because I don't know if you guys noticed, but when they started enacting the plan to build the sensory deprivation tank, there was a lot of new pairings. Yeah. So, you know, you get Mike and Nancy, as we talked about before, talking about their crushes. You get Hopper and Jonathan, which is sort of like the uh, faux father-son dynamic mm-hmm. with, you know, Jonathan saying he wants to go into the gate and Hopper saying you're not allowed to. I'm the one that's going to find Will. And then you have Joyce and Eleven, as you talked about before. So I like the fact that one of the other reasons why it's cool to mix and match these sort of age groups is to get these other dynamics across. Because as you just mentioned, they pay off really well. Yep, they do. They do. Um, And uh, just as they find Will and Barb and uh, Hopper and uh, Joyce uh, go after them, uh, the teams split up. So I'm sorry, Mike. It was short-lived, but it was was good while it lasted. I, I'm, we won't talk about the, the trailers too, too much, maybe at the end for those who don't want to be spoiled or for those who might not have seen all of the trailers. But <laughs> I will say one thing is that it seems to be there's a hint towards a lot more teaming up in the next season. So one of the oh. many reasons why I'm on board here. Just ruined the whole second <laughs> season for me. Um, and uh, last uh, bit of a jump scare here. Castle Byers is blown <sighs> up. Now, uh, Mike, are you conditioned at this point? Or did it's I actually it no, scared me. I'm never, Jay, I'm never conditioned. <laughs> I'm 28 years old and I've never been conditioned. I'm never going to be conditioned unless at some point somebody decides to jump out and scare me at the same time every day of my life. I'm always going to be scared. This thing scared me. I don't like it. But I liked so much more about this. I liked everything around it. <laughs> Yeah, I say that seem to say this every podcast, but I go, oh my god, yeah, this this is kind of scary too. I get okay, <laughs> I was wrong. I apologize. So, uh, Mike, Thanks. do you watch us at like noon uh, during the day? Uh, you uh-huh. know, pull daylight <laughs> oh, yeah. open. Do you watch? Do you watch it outside in front of with a lot of people around you? To- what well, basically happens for me whenever I watch something scary is that uh, I got the feeling when we were in the upside down, and you like when Will senses that little. Thing shadowing around it. I knew something was going to happen. So whenever that happens, or whenever you're like watching a scary movie trailer and you hear silence and no music, I'll like <laughs> look away. I'll try to look at something else because it's always like the sound and the sight at the same time that causes the startling. So yeah. if I eliminate one of those senses, then that helps things a tiny bit. It's a little anticipatory in that regard. <laughs> um, but it, it definitely uh, steps up the danger for uh, the final chapter. Uh, the final countdown. Uh, so let's jump into that now. Any final thoughts here before we do move on on this uh, chapter, the bathtub? I, I did want to say, though, I was watching it at work in the dark. I turned off the lights and was watching in the dark. But uh, I started watching. It went to episode eight, not seven. I'm like going, 
I got like five minutes in. I go, I don't. What am I missing here? I don't remember this part being. So I was all screwed up. So I had to go back and and watch it. So maybe I should now, watch it in the light with everybody else around me. Jack, you're you're watching at work. Do you also have fifteen hundred pounds of salt around you at any point in time? <laughs> I do. I do. Well, you might as well check because who knows if somebody's trying to build a sensory deprivation tank. Yeah, we have all kind. We have all kinds of chemicals. Also, there, do you so. do you uh, if you can watch it at work? Do you also have YouTube at work so that you can watch a three minute trailer? Uh, I can get on YouTube. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's let's uh, jump into chapter the, the eight. Inter- I, once I finished the eight, it, the internet went out. Oh, okay. There we go. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Next, to the dog to the cable. It's it's. Yeah, it's, it's uh, terrible. <laughs> Who let that dog in here? All right. Uh, Hopper gives up Eleven's location to Brenner in exchange for access to the go, portal. Lando. Uh, he and Joyce enter the upside down. Hopper recalls his daughter, Sarah, struggling to breathe before her cancer diagnosis. Uh, Nancy and Jonathan booby trap the buyer's home, then cut their hands to attract the monster with blood. Steve arrives intending to apologize to Jonathan about their fight. The monster attacks but disappears before springing it the trap. Uh, Steve gets in his car to leave but stays when he realizes the monster is returning uh, the monster springs the trap and escapes back to the upside down Eleven and the boys hide in the middle school Mike asks Eleven to the school dance called the snowball and kisses her yeah. uh, Brenner and his agents arrive to get Eleven back Eleven kills most of them but collapses of exhaustion as Brenner cradles her the monster appears the boys carry Eleven to a classroom and hide as the monster attacks Brenner and the agents it is unknown if Brenner survived the attack Hopper enjoys find the monster's nest in the upside downtown library will is there unconscious with a tendril down his throat at the middle school the monster finds the children but is pinned and disintegrated by 11 who vanishes hopper and joyce perform cpr on will and revive him will is hospitalized and reunited with his mother brother and friends hopper is reluctantly picked up by a black car one month later, Nancy has gotten back together with Steve and both are friends with Jonathan. Hopper leaves the other food uh, in the box in the woods. Will coughs up a slug-like creature and has a vision yeah. of the world as the upside down. But he hides this from his family. Um, all right, top moments from this episode. First is Hopper's daughter flashbacks. Um, bringing on the tears uh, with Hopper's backstory here. Yeah, well, I'm, intri- I- I'm intrigued to hear what you guys think, because I know, Jay, you've watched this multiple times. And I feel like, you know, in the time probably between this first came out and now you your fatherly duties have grown even more. So d- d- does this like emotional stakes increase even more as the years have progressed? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Because I-, I think it's um, and-, and not to say you don't feel it if you don't have kids, but having a kid, you just you it, it just the emotional impact is so heavy because you know you picture you know your own kid going through something like that or losing your child would be it's it, I, I can only imagine it would be the most horrendous thing that any human being could experience um, and uh, so you just you feel so much and I think you know it gives so much context to Hopper's drive to save Will and to find Will. Oh yeah. Um, but it's just absolutely heartbreaking, super heartbreaking. Because it, it's it's a it's a happy family, and you see uh, how this tragedy uh, disintegrated uh, what was there. What what did you think about the choice to save all of these for the final episode instead of parsing them out like it seems like we did with some Jonathan and Joyce stuff early on? I mean, I I loved especially the the sensory callbacks where you know, especially when we see Hopper sees Will with this weird sort of breathing yeah. tube type of thing down his throat and that flashes back to his own daughter so i loved those types of moments uh it really again calls back to this trauma and i find it so interesting that again we get this big mystery as to what exactly happened to hopper's daughter and now if it finally gets addressed now there's obviously a lot more to find out about the character if his ending is any indication but i thought it was extremely effective here that it was all saved for the end i i think so too because it's just it's it's kind of tease it's there you know it's there um, and it just had such a payoff. And to your point, it connects so well with what he's experiencing. Well, you, in the you know it. You know it's there, but you kind of put it in the back burner because okay, you know Hopper lost his daughter. That's why he's driven. But then when you see this final scene, where this final episode, where it's flashback, he's going, you go, oh my god, that's why he's so driven. That's why he's so he's going to do it, whatever it takes to find Will because of what's happening. I I think waiting to the end made it even better. Yeah, okay. I think I, it, it gave him stakes. And some might argue that it, it's too late to give him stakes, but I feel like it was it was right there, especially uh, when you get this CPR scene, which 
I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, an EMT. I don't know if uh, pounding on his chest with your bare fists uh, is necessarily uh, a good form of CPR. I mean, it worked. That's but, the, that's the worked, Jack Shepard. It, it worked in lot. Worked in lot. Yeah, I was gonna say lot, it was so. it was very much the same thing as when Jack found Charlie being yeah. hung on the tree, and it was a very similar thing where he was flashing back to losing his own patient, and that emotional aspect kind of comes out through a physical form of aggression. Both times it ends up working. I don't know if it necessarily uh, should inspire people to do that in their real life, but I think both times it really creates a huge emotional impact. Because wouldn't you crack his ribs and stuff like well, that? Well, in, in normal CPR, if you're doing it right, you probably would crack their ribs. Uh, just, just the FYI there. But, I, I haven't seen. I haven't seen the poster that has the picture of someone punching a guy in the not stomach. Punching, but say, the, just even work. even the normal pumping, uh, you would usually. I mean, not all the time, but it, it's not uncommon to break the the ribs there. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, Mike. You don't like the scary scenes. I don't like the scenes where things are coming, at, where they're pulling things out of someone's <laughs> mouth. And interesting. That, that that grosses me out. Um, but I, I think it's, it's and again, being a parent, like, I, and I, and from both perspectives, you have Hopper who lost his kid, and then you have Joyce who that is her son, um, that his life is on the line, um, and just the emotions that she's going through. I just think it ties so well. Um, so I, I, I really liked uh, holding the the flashbacks to this episode. I just it adds so much weight. Um, and so much emotion was it, to the final episode. Was it was it this episode that they were right where they where they uh, Steve and Nancy and and yeah. they were they were by the house. They're in the same yeah. area. And the next thing we see is is uh, Hopper and Joyce walking down. As they're away from the house. Yeah, I think it's just a cut scene. Okay, yeah, all right. But but uh, right. but it was that was an interesting thing too because we finally got to figure out how that whole light thing works. Yes. It seemed to be like. When you're in the area and you interact with the environment, the lights on the other side light up. Now, no idea if that works the other way around, but we got to see when Hopper and Joyce were walking through the house and Jonathan saw the Christmas lights light up that he he was able to surmise that that was his mother. Which was cool. It was a neat scene. Um, Which does lead to the next time I'm here, Nancy, Jonathan, and Steve try to take out the Demogorgon. Um, Again, a really cool, satisfying um, uh, peak here to the teenager storyline. So, I mean, I know you made fun of the fact, Jack, that like, oh, Nancy, you know, sobbed about Barb and then moved on. But I would actually say that this whole thing was spurred on by Barb. I would say yeah. that this really like pushed Nancy to say like, okay, this thing killed my best friend. Now I've got to kill it. And it just shows how stone cold badass that she got. And this is one yeah, of those I, things. I, I, I bet you that I bet you Barb's mom and, and Barb are real happy about that. Yep, Barb's mom especially, because you know yeah. it's all about the moms here in Stranger yeah, cause, Things. Yeah, because Bob's mom's like, okay, Nancy, you redeemed yourself. Okay, <laughs> my daughter's well, got my daughter's dead, but you know, I don't know when Nancy pulls into Barb's mom's house with a sawed-off shotgun, you know, <laughs> and the head of the Demogorgon. Yeah, <laughs> this is for but, Barb. <laughs> what I will say about this is, I I loved all this. Obviously, you know, I I like the Steve redemption thing as much as we might poke fun at it. I did enjoy the fact that, as we mentioned before, he is sort of a flawed character, but we can at least see some of his motives as opposed to more two-dimensional characters like Tommy and Carol, who he shrugs off earlier. And there's some, Uh. obviously, some badass Home Alone stuff here. My question is, in the grand plan, was this necessary? Do we think that the Demogorgon would have gone to the school anyway if it wasn't for if it wasn't scared off by the trap in the buyer's Well, I think he kind of needed something to lead... Uh, Hopper and Joyce to the his nest. So injuring him in some way to give the trail of blood is kind of what helped. Um, so if we're talking about like purpose to the story, I think that's where it, it comes in um, while also giving kind of an apex to the teenager's storyline um, and, and letting them take out some uh, aggression uh, on what, this what? animal. Uh, for for Nancy, you give uh, Steve's kind of redemption and rise to hero dumb with his with his baseball spiked baseball bat, um, and uh, it was very Home Alone. Uh, Jonathan, a bit a Jonathan gets way. a new camera out of the deal, so everybody everybody's happy. Uh, why when it was set on fire? Why did they put it out? No, I think they were I think they were trying to put out the fire. Yeah, in the house the, fire. The, okay, it's it, not burned. I mean, the the interesting thing about the Demogorgon as well is that I guess it turns out that like human weapons and even natural elements like fire couldn't kill it i guess again i I sort of came up with a theory about halfway through the season that you know it was sort of like uh, the yin and yang of 11 and the demogorgon where one could defeat the other you know neither can live while the other survives uh to bring back to bring up harry potter 
And I guess that's the case here because nothing phased that creature. As you said, it got like slightly injured, but if it was any sort of normal person, that <laughs> thing would have been dead three times over. So well, the kids that are so the kids that are normally pretty smart, they they hear all the gunfire going off and they it's nothing stopping this thing, so they thought rocks would work. In in all fairness, so it was it was hobbled by the time it got to the kids. I will it wasn't like full force because it couldn't move that fast once it got in there. So it was uh, you're slowed down by a thousand bullets and being put on fire and having his leg caught in a uh, bear trap. Bear trap. Uh, bear so trap. it's it slowed it down a little bit. So the rocks could have done it. Hey, but I I think it for that that moment. And I'll say it for when we talk about that moment. Um, let's let's go to the next thing here. Eleven and Mike kiss. Uh, they want to go the snowball together. Uh, Mike, was this a big groan and ug uh, on your side? Since you you have since the start of this season, you're like, oh, I don't want them to be shipped here. I mean, I think it shows my own character growth in that I've actually come around to be okay with it. And, and this is <laughs> this is sort of what happened with me is that, I'll, admittedly, uh, for a while, this is weird to say, but I did not regard Eleven as a child. Uh, maybe it's because of all the ET comparisons, but I sort of regard her as some sort of like extraterrestrial or super normal being so then this idea of sort of you know uh, having a crush on this normal 11 year old kid never really played to me but it was once we started finding out that she was a human child i, I sort of gave into it and I'll, I'll admit this scene sort of got me by the end where it wasn't really like a puppy dog crush as much as it was like kind of legitimate feelings as legitimate feelings as you could have when you're 11 years old and again i feel like any other two Kid actors would not be able to pull this off, but you know, Phil, Finn Wolfhard and uh, Millie Bobby Brown just are so so good among all the other great actors in this. But they really pulled off stuff that could, in a very different setting, come off as very hokey. Jack, what are your thoughts? I, I thought it worked, so I I'm I'm 100 agreement with Mike on this. Well, one. and it just it, it added just uh, to the stakes or just the. Uh, the true heartbreak of kind of the end of, of Eleven's journey uh, in this season. Um, uh, it, it just because, you know, as she it, she's laying there and it, she says, like, we're going to go to the dance, you promise? And it's just, it, it just, it, it makes it that much more heartbreaking um, that, that well, she's gone. Especially when she just, when, you know, she's gone and then Mike starts to cry. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's getting me a little misty right now thinking about it. Um so let's let's move on to the next top moment here. Uh, Doctor Brenner and Team All Die. Is Brenner dead uh, when the monster comes in and attacks? I hope so. I mean, okay, nothing you against want him dead. Okay. I, I mean, nothing against Matthew Modine, but we'll talk about this with the season two trailers. I, I don't really know what Brenner's purpose would be in a season two. You know, I feel like. We got some characterization as to his motives, but we never got that much time dedicated to him. And he didn't really have that much depth, in my opinion, outside of being generic bad guy that I feel like I need to see more of him. So I don't know if that's too much of that's, you know, of a very contested opinion. But I feel like the character has had his purpose. Eleven has moved on. I think we can move on from him as a character, though. I have a I don't know. I have a strange suspicion that he'll be back. Um, that's fair, and we'll talk about it with the trailers just when we're talking about season two or our thoughts about what season two could be. Um, but it, it's it's one of those things where they didn't show him die uh, necessarily. Um, so it's kind of, if you don't see him dead, you have to assume he could still be alive. Yes. Could he just been wounded or something? This is it's the Siler thing, right? He's gonna yeah. slip away and he's gonna go road tripping with twins and <laughs> across South America or something. How does how does this always come back to heroes? It, it's always it, uh, heroes is an example of how a fantastic show can go completely belly up, and I'm glad to hear that season two of Stranger Things has not gone belly up. But that's what I always go to in terms of like how to take a fantastic piece of gold and then turn it to crap. It's the opposite of alchemy, essentially. It like so quickly too, like just it was like flipping a switch. Well, it was before even season two happened, though. Yeah, the the the, the pinnacle of uh, season one, the whole final battle was so boring. Um, but anyway, we're not here to talk about heroes. We're here to talk about a good show. Um, next up, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we talked about it earlier with uh, the Demogorgon just getting you know shot to hell. You know, all these things happen. It's, it, it goes into the room where all the, where the kids are, the D and D crew, um, and they take on the Demogorgon. Uh, this is such a. Um, uh, even though it is just you know a wrist rocket with rocks, 
it's such an emotionally intense scene because you know they're all there they're 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 trying to to beat this evil entity that's beaten everything else and the odds are stacked against them but they're there together trying to take out this monster um it it, it does smack of it uh, a bit um was in terms of you know kids taking on this you know supernatural bigger being than themselves um and i and i think it really pays off uh in the end for for their final showdown before 11 steps in with the demagogue and mike i don't know what you thought here yeah and doesn't it have i'm trying to remember doesn't its climax for the kid part at least feature a slingshot as well so there really is like a, a even a prompt correlation there but yeah i think you made a great point about how this is sort of the climax of everything the kids have been working towards it's interesting bringing back Lucas's wrist rocket, considering that from the beginning, people were, you know, he was saying, we got to use this. And they were saying, that's not going to work whatsoever. And it doesn't work for a while. But I love that it was guided by Eleven. You know, the fact that Eleven had to be there to sort of magnify everything. And of course, you get this really heartbreaking moment where she ends up sacrificing herself for them, though. It does bring up um, an interesting question about everything, too. Yeah, and and so yeah, the the kind of shot shots on the happen, and then like one seems to take it, throws it against the wall, and they're kind of shocked that it worked. And then we see that it's actually eleven is up. You see, you know, it's it's beyond just the nosebleeds and ear bleeding. It's it's her eyes are bleeding, um, and she's she's using the last of whatever she has, um, and uh, you know, and and pushes Mike back. Um, you know well, what's I, coming. I, I, I guess that's showing who's going to wear the pants in the family, though, right? <laughs> um, no, Mike. Uh, but uh, uh, just—it's—it's it's one of those um, just really emotional. Just the way they the scene is shot. You have the slow mo and the the single female voice singing, um, and mm-hmm. and you have uh, Eleven the act- killing the, the, the monster. The, the, the kid acting too—that was great. The, the yeah. actors were fantastic. I mean, I, speaking, I, of bleeding, sp- speaking of bleeding from the eyes, well, I know that we, we don't know if Brenner's dead, but we're pretty sure that, you know, fake social services lady <laughs> yes. and all those other people are dead. Considering yeah. that, what did Eleven do? Did she like... I think she actually exploded from, their brains. That's what I think, right? Because they, they bled from the eyes initially, but then like it seemed like they all collapsed. So I assume that she like burst a bunch of blood vessels on their heads. Yeah, was it, that it, the most satisfying death was the social worker lady? I was fine because she seemed to be the most yeah. evil. I, I just said, kill her. Good. Yeah, if, if I mean, if, if Brenner was two-dimensional, then she was one-dimensional in terms of the, the purpose that she served. I just, um, I'm, I'm glad that she's gone. Uh, and, you know, she says goodbye, disintegrates the monster, and presumably herself. And uh, and uh, it's, it's one of those... Uh, it's what probably... Uh, very Lord of the Rings-esque, where, you know, the... the the heroes are victorious, but it's not without uh, a cost, um, and it just it adds that kind of weight to um, the fact that they they've defeated this enemy, um, but they're they're walking away uh, with some some physical and mental wounds and, and loss of friends. Who is who is the loss of friends? Are you talking about Boromir? Is that what you're talking about? The loss of friends in Lord of the Rings? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I'm trying to think. I guess not too many people. Uh, yeah, not, not, besides not many, not many in, re- in Return of the... Not really many towards the end of the journey, yeah, unless you yeah. want to count Gollum, who I guess was sort of like their begrudging friend. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert. Um, it's, uh, oh, God, Jack, it's a 14-year-old movie and a, what, 40-plus-year-old book. I think we're out of the, outside I, the statute I, of limitations I, here. I haven't seen the last one yet. I was just planning on doing it after I watched the Bologna. previews. I try to get Jack to watch that <laughs> series forever, and he did his usual, like old man complaining thing and it was like wait the movie doesn't end after the first one i don't want to watch anymore no i said it has no conclusion they're up on top of the thing and i go wait that's it it's a three it's a three-part book series i i I watched the second one Mm -hmm. i did fall asleep anyways um (laughs) uh what i I do want to say before we leave here is that there is this weird i mean this this season ender opened did open a bunch of questions that I feel like we might get some answered in the second season but there was this really interesting moment where you know Eleven decides to sacrifice herself and she reaches out to sort of kill the Demogorgon and if you notice the Demogorgon also reaches out and you also have this moment like a couple episodes beforehand when Eleven says I am the monster do you think there might be some meat on the bones of this idea that like Eleven and the monster again are sort of as I mentioned before like the yin and yang they sort of like function in very I don't know, not necessarily similar functions, but they almost exist in very uh, similar, I don't know, 
uh, statures or positions in the different universes. This is still like a very uh, nubile theory to me, but that that gesture alone just kind of made me think about it. Uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's a a, a wrong theory, a bad theory. Um, I, I I even thought about that before, to be completely honest. But I I do see it there. There is definite uh, thematic uh, elements to make it kind of a yin and yang uh, kind of thing. Jack, what are your thoughts? I get, I I like it. Go go with it, Mike. Is make that the crackpot take. theory of the crackpot theory of the season? Yeah, I there think you go. So. I like it. <laughs> um, let's see here. Other uh, moments. Oh yes, uh, Joyce and Hopper find Will and Sam. We already kind of touched this before, but again, uh, talk about climaxes for a season. Um, finding Will, the, the thing that was set up at the very beginning of this season, is uh, that you have the conclusion of it, very emotional, um, and uh, and Will is okay, but again, uh, is different. It's, is, it's, he, is, he, is he okay? Uh, I, I can't, it's the Dan Harmon uh, circle theory, um, or story circle theory, where it's basically uh, the, the, the hero starts out, they want to change, uh, things happen to them, and uh, they go back, and things are the same, but they're different. Uh, that's that's a really bad, uh, shortened version of the his his uh, writing theory. That, but that that absolutely made no sense. But it's okay. <laughs> but in a sense that you know everything's back, like they're all back, but they're all uh, after this journey that they've gone through uh, have changed. They'll never be the, they'll never be the same. Yeah. Um. But uh, uh, thoughts here, like uh, satisfying. I know for you, uh, Mike, you you thought Will would be dead, but Will is alive. Uh, thoughts mm-hmm. there for you? Yeah, I'm happy about. As weird as it's to say, I'm sort of happy about this to be continued thing because one of the things that I was fearful of is this is a weird comparison, but it's sort of like the Hangover movies where. You know, the first Hangover movie, I don't know, Jack, if you watched past the first Hangover movie. I don't know if you thought there was... I, I, I've actually, I've actually, unfortunately, seen all three. So you've seen all three Hangover movies. We haven't seen all... Th- okay, well, well, this is... All right, this is just getting my bun steamed. My potatoes are runny, just like Joyce's. Uh, but the thing about the first Hangover movie was that the thing that kind of made it work was the fact that there were these three characters looking for this fourth one. And then when you have this fourth character join, I feel like one of the things, one of the many things that worked against that franchise in future installments was the fact that, okay, now what is this fourth guy going to do? You know, you sort of figured out the dynamics of the characterizations of the other three. Now the fourth is sort of like an appendage there. What I'm happy about with Will and what his, you know, what might be happening with him is that it at least makes the character interesting. You know, now it's not like, okay, here are the three guys and Will's here too, who didn't really have that much development outside of those flashbacks. I'm happy that this sort of gives us a way to get to know him a little bit more. Yeah, is it going to be Will though? Is it, is it, is it Will? I or do you so. think it's, you think it's some sort of like invasion of the body snatchers type could, of like a pod person? Will could be, uh, I don't, I, I mean, that's not a bad theory just in terms of what we've seen, but I, I mean, don't think that's well, the case. I, I, not having seen the previews, uh, <laughs> having seen one preview, <laughs> that that okay. So you got to have some kind of storyline for the next four years, right? They're doing four more seasons. Okay, they've killed the demigodic dog, whatever. Demogorgon. They've killed that demigorgon. They've killed that thing. Uh, Eleven, we assume, is going to be back because we see the waffles at the end that Hopper left for. Um, so we got to have something. Nancy gets another best friend that dies. I don't know. Um, there's, there's so much to go on, but I, I'm going to say that Will is not Will. Okay. All right, so that's your crackpot you, you, theory? You, you can't have a happy ending. Yeah, I'm going to say it's my crackpot theory. Uh, so it's not that Will has changed and has gone through things. It's actually not Will. It's a, it's an alien it's not of some sort? Some kind of alien. What, what was that? It had that thing inside him, and you know, Hopper had to kill it. It was... Uh, so I, you know, he spits out the little slug at the end. So yeah, I I I I'm saying it's not Will. Um, uh, so I will I will define the story circle technique that Dan Harmon invented, and it's apparently used a lot in stories now. It's uh it's eight parts. So a character is in a zone of comfort or familiarity. Uh, the second is they desire something. The third is they enter an unfamiliar situation. Four, they adapt to that situation. Five, they get which they wanted. Six, they pay a heavy price for it. Seven, they return to their familiar situation. Eight, they have changed as a result of the journey. So the idea is that's the framework for uh, it's kind of a, a broken down version of the uh, uh, to the hero's journey. Um, but uh, 
but it's it's similar type of uh, story arc here that we've seen for a lot of the characters. Yes, the hero's journey, but with more emotional weight, yeah. more realistic standards of like not necessarily PTSD, but really feeling the context and the consequences. And yeah, like you said, we see it here where they get back, and you know it's Christmas, and things have changed. You know, it seems like uh, Jonathan is good with both Nancy and Steve. There were so many emotional moments that really hit me this episode. And again, I think it really just is a great representation of the fact that these we've seen so much from these characters and we'll get to, you know, I know that you wrote this in uh, your notes, Jay, <laughs> the return of the King style ending when Will wakes up in the bed and everyone jumps on him. And then they say in slow-mo Aragon. And then, you know, Viggo Mortensen comes in uh, with a, with a bright line and everything. But yeah, I, I think that especially when Will first wakes up and Jonathan and Joyce are there, I mean, that got me legitimately emotional because we have seen so much of those two characters specifically and their interactions with Will that it was so great to like when he woke up it, again, it had stakes. Yeah. It, it didn't just feel like another scene where, Oh, he's awake. Hooray. Everything's okay. Like you really went on a journey with these two characters and really sought out how much emotional depth they had been plundering to get him back. And so to have him come to you and everyone's teary eyed and weeping over each other, I thought that was just a really nice moment in particular. It, was. it definitely was. I, I, I know I talked about, I was ahead of myself in this episode, but there was, they said there were six, Brenner said there were six people. Taken. Yeah. So they, there was the hunters that disappeared, uh, okay. Barb, Will, um, and we saw the skulls and other bodies in there too. So it's just, I guess other people that the, the McGoran happened to get that weren't okay. important enough to be characters. <laughs> <laughs> if, if only they were mentioned they could have won an Emmy they could have possibly uh, yeah so I say Return of the King style ending uh, one for them first coming back um, and then you see you kind of had uh, each scene I think could have been the kind of the end of the season mm-hmm. um, and then it would cut to another scene it would keep giving us more so you know you had the uh, that and then you had the Christmas party um, well uh, yeah, and then you have um uh, you know, Jonathan picking up, or you have the next D and D game where they decide to throw fireballs, and then the, their pick Jonathan's picked up, and you kind of have the nice moment between uh, Nancy uh, and Steve, um, and then you 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 cut to the Christmas party, and then you have him putting the egos in the little food box, and then it cuts, and it's like okay, that could be a good, and then oh, okay, no, one more scene here. Yeah, we have the Christmas dinner, and then you have the. Uh, you know, uh, Will spitting out the slug and then going back, and then you kind of close out uh, the season. So, I, for me, like especially when I watched it, and it was a year ago the first time, and as we're getting now prepped for uh, the sequel to the first uh, season of Stranger Things, um, I, I thought it did a really good way of giving a post story um, to set everything up, but also giving it a satisfying conclusion to season one. Yeah, and then, you know, then Sean Astin gets with Rosie the Barmaid. Oh, wait, that's another Sean Astin character. We'll talk about that. Uh, I, I agree. I could definitely understand why there might be some criticism about the fact there's a lot of codas going on in the musical piece that is Stranger Things Episode 8. But at the same time, again, we went on this journey with these characters. I personally would like to see, you know, the, the interesting thing about all these moments, too, is that it sort of did close a door, but almost left it a little cracked to say like, oh, there's still something that might be investigated in season two. Even with the teenagers, it was, you know, Nancy and Steve give Jonathan the camera, which is a really sweet moment. And then she kisses him on the cheek and you think, okay, she's with Steve. It seems like things are okay, but she sort of gives this longing glance as if to say, okay, things might be a little more complicated emotionally. Obviously we talked about Will and the slugs. We have Mike, you know, down in the basement, longing, looking at the fort for 11. We obviously have Hopper leaving the food out there for 11 or some sort of 11-like creature. So one thing that I liked about it is, yes, on paper, the scenes might have seemed redundant, but we again, we know so much about these characters that I wanted to see them sort of get their quote-unquote happy ending while at the same time getting a peek into what might be coming for them down the road. Yeah, and I think it, it, they maybe even put it in there because the show technically wasn't renewed until I think a couple weeks after it aired. Because um, again, that's Netflix, surprising. they put it that's- all at once. That's surprising for Netflix. Usually Netflix shows, they <laughs> renew it like two weeks before it premieres, not after it airs. And they said they had a feeling it was going to get renewed. They were working on it, but it officially wasn't. I don't think I think it was released middle of July. I don't think it was officially renewed until I mean, the first week of August, somewhere around there. Um, so uh, either way, I think uh, final thoughts here for uh, season one. Uh, fantastic, fantastic season. Really satisfying uh, conclusion. Uh, you know, we, t- we mentioned, kind of joked on Heroes, 
where it didn't really have a satisfying conclusion to season one and then really went downhill after that. But just a really satisfying total season. The fact it's only eight episodes, the way I describe it to people is like it's kind of a long movie uh, in a sense. Because like, that's how I felt watching it. I watched it, I think, over the course of three days. Um, and it was just this, uh, this really engaging and grossing experience uh, that was just a really fun story to watch that was nostalgic, but not just nostalgic for nostalgic's sake. It was also a really engaging and, and fun story. So the question I have for you guys, and I, I think both of you concerning that, I'm assuming you've both watched this now, both on a binge and now stretched out over these four weeks. Do you have a preferential experience? Because, well, I did say at the very beginning of this series of podcasts that I am not really the binging type. At the end of all of this, there's so many bookends, like I mentioned before, with Dustin and all this other stuff that I could imagine how this series would play really, really well binged over a weekend. Yeah, I, I think it does lend itself because it is so short. It's not, you know, this was a standard like 13 episodes usually. Like, you can do it in, in a few days. Um, and, the, again, the pacing is so tight that um, uh, you really it, – it does really lend itself just to keep watching. Like, uh, each episode just ends on a place where, like, okay, I got to see the next one. I got to see the next one. Um, so it's – I think it is – a. It's a balanced show that I think can be binged, but having spread it out for that we spread it out roughly over a month, um, that was enjoyable too. But it's it's hard for me to totally understand that, given that I had already seen it, so I could be more patient in watching it. It'll be interesting to see as we go into Stranger Things two um, and and kind of spreading that out uh, over four weeks roughly. Because we're gonna watch. An average of two episodes a week, right? Yeah, and maybe yeah. We'll... So we're so we're so we're going to continue with this format. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe at the end of all of this, if we have someone who binged through it all, if they want to weigh in on their thoughts. But yeah, I, I wonder, you know, if it's going to be done in a very similar style. I know it's one more episode, as you said, but if they're preparing to to make it more of like a not, you know, I feel like there's a difference sometimes with with TV shows between especially in a binging format of, oh, here's a 10-episode show versus here's a 10-hour movie. Like when yeah. they did uh, the Wet Hot American Summer sequel slash prequel on Netflix, that's how they essentially wanted it to be billed as, is like a four-hour movie. Yeah. It seemed like Stranger Things kind of wants to go in that same direction. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 I think it's kind of like, because you know, I, I look at like a show like, um, was that show with James Franco, November 22nd? Heroes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 11 11-22-63. 11-22-63. Where I only got one episode a week, I'd be like, "Oh, gotta get away a week." But here, where I'm binging, is sometimes I go, oh, "I hate hate rushing through it. I hate ru- I hate going too fast because you mess up. You know, like okay, I gotta see the next one. I gotta see the next one. I gotta see the next. Because you know, when you watch it again and again, you say, "Oh, I messed that part. I didn't catch that part. I didn't see that part." That's the problem when you binge something is you you're just in such a hurry to get to the next episode. You're not you're not it's not all sinking in. Yeah, absorbing. I will say there so, even was there was my, and I this is a third time watching it. There was moments that I did miss the other two times that I did um, and to really fully engage in the story. Uh, the most that I did was in the third time watching it where I did space it out. Um, so, I, I, so I think there's a plus and minus. Like I said, I, I, said, I want to binge, but then I, I, I like to make it last. So it's like, okay, I want to – I'll wait a couple days on that final episode to watch it or something like I that. I will but. say, though, that um, in interviews for this uh, – for Stranger Things 2 – um, the Duffer Brothers have said it is a slower build, um, mm. so maybe maybe the pacing will be a little different. Uh, well, the preview the previews they definitely say if you watch the previews it says that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the second one really it it just says it's going to be a slow build. That's really interesting. I, I'm I'm going to be really intrigued to see the general reception to season two, just because I think Heroes is one, but I think many times in recent years we have seen this example of something that really explodes in the pop culture zeitgeist in the first season and the second season and then on just doesn't live up to the hype. I think I personally disagree with this, but I think we might have seen it as most recent as Mr. Robot, which is a show that everyone fell in love with the first season. But the second season is a much slower build and I won't spoil anything about it. But, you know, there's a certain question that people keep asking the entire time that does not get revealed until basically the last half of the finale. And so 
I can understand why people might take some reservations with that, but it makes it easier for us to talk about it, considering that we're only doing two episodes a week. So I can't complain that much. <laughs> um, and, and I would agree. But the uh, the reassuring thing here uh, is the positive reviews that are coming in so far for Stranger Things 2 um, and the trailers. So let's, let's jump into the trailers now. Uh, that will kind of conclude uh, season one of Stranger Things. Now we're getting into talking about season two. And so if you do not, if you're a trailer phobe and you don't want to talk about them, just you All can, right. you can stop later. listening now. Uh, but I do want to thank uh, the people that make this show possible. Our patrons, Tack from Tokyo, Eckhart Richter, Molly the Millennial, and Ed the Letter Carrier. If you'd like to become a patron uh, and give whatever you can a month, whether it's a dollar on up, you get different things the more you give. Go to jayandjack.com and click on the Become a Patron link today. All right, so let's jump into these trailers. The first up is the Comic-Con trailer, uh, named so because it was released at Comic-Con. Um, they had Hall H. Um, I was not able to go into it because I will not camp out uh, days in advance for a panel. Um, I'm an old, I'm an old timer comic conner, and I will not do that. Uh, but for those that did, and for those that were outside and saw it when they dropped it a minute later on the internet, I yeah. thought the Comic Con, aka tr- a Thriller trailer, was awesome. I love the trailer. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit I watched both of these in a row, so I think you might do a better job of sort of parsing out what's in each one. But it's so interesting also to uh, to watch these two as well, having just finished the first season, just because, again, I don't really have a sense of what became noteworthy things that happened in the season proper that really pop, caught on in the pop culture zeitgeist. Like, apparently, Steve Spiky Bat is one of them, considering that it's shown, I think, in, what, both trailers. It's mentioned a couple times. He's in the poster wielding it. I, I'm surprised. I had heard more about the van flip and the egos and everything, but I'd heard nothing about Steve's bat before I finished. Well, frankly, I didn't either. So it I might just be something that. that they feel they wanted to make a thing. I didn't. I didn't see it till the second. That's why I said it. I didn't see it till the second time I watched it. I saw. I remember him wielding it in like a shot in the first one, but in the second one, there's like uh, a scene of like him and Dustin, yeah. and, you know, opening up his trunk and Dustin's like, "You still have that badass bat?" And then Steve takes out the bat. So like, I just wasn't. I you know. I, I think my my wife compared it to Negan from The Walking Dead. I don't want to. You know, I think it's considered a curse word now, Jack. If I mention that show's name, uh, but I, I, I that's I definitely drew some comparisons there. But I, I had no idea if it was sort of like a big thing when the season itself premiered. I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. I mean, I think it was like a, a cool moment and an iconic moment for Steve. Um, so I think I think it's a fun callback as opposed to like this is a it thing. Made, like Egos is it, a thing. It, it made Steve a superhero. So he's Batman. Uh, yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, I will say opening up at the arcade uh, was awesome for anybody that grew up with arcades. Uh, they're not as common now. Um, uh, even though we got a good one in, in Raleigh, it's Boxcar Barcade, a lot of fun. Um, but they are playing Dragon's Lair. For anybody that ever played Dragon's Lair, that was the hardest freaking game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack, did you ever play that in the arcades? That was around I, your I, time. I, I, a dragon? I don't remember it. No, that was one where it was like a—it was almost like a cartoon. It was this laser disc game. Yeah, it was. It was yeah, I—I um, I know about it, but I don't think I—I I don't. What do you mean, my time? I mean, I was. In, <laughs> was it in the set? Was it around the seventies? No, eighty-two. You were what, like twenty? Yeah, we did. I did. I didn't play. We know you were spending a lot of time in the arcade in your twenties, Jack. Actually, uh, in, in my twenties, I was playing. Uh, Ghost and Goblins. That's that was my game mm. of choice. That, talk about talk about a super hard game. Uh, I also love Dragons there because I feel like not to get too like video game nerdy, but I feel like that's like the first time instance of QTEs, quick time events, where like you said, you really had to like navigate that joystick almost immediately when you saw things flashing, or otherwise you turn into that skeleton. Yeah. Oh, it was so hard, especially because I was like a kid, so I didn't really have any. Skills. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Your, your reflexes are not that good <laughs> using, when you're that using young. Using some excuses. I would. Was a kid. That's why I couldn't. I couldn't win. <laughs> um, loved, loved just how Thriller kind of comes into it. How it paces with the music, um, and I love how it's set in Halloween. It's being released right before Halloween. Um, I love the Ghostbusters uh, reveal. Um, of course, that that was a given. And another plus, panel I plus saw, plus like the the yeah the little like container box too that they have in uh, yeah, Mr. The Ghost Clark's trap. back room. I think. Uh, yeah, the, it's, the, there's uh, their own homemade ghost trap, which seemingly has something in it. 
Um, so that'll, that'll be curious to see how that pans out. I also went to a Ghostbuster panel at Comic-Con that year, and Ivan Reitman talked about how the Duffer brothers contacted him and Ghost Corps, uh, which is the kind of company that owns and manages the Ghostbuster stuff run by Ivan Reitman. Um, so they worked with Ghost uh, Corps to actually um, set up the scenes and everything like that and make sure it was in canon and stuff like that. So I, it, that might be a bigger part, which is awesome as a big Ghostbusters fan. Um, the Duffer brothers are around my age or at our age, uh, Mike. And uh, so uh, pretty cool to see that. Um uh, but a good, just a great trailer in the sense that it didn't reveal, I don't think, a whole lot about the season, but definitely uh, revealed moments from it and setting up and showing little glimpses of new characters. Um, but absolutely mm-hmm. love the Comic-Con trailer. I think I keep telling me it's like probably my favorite trailer of uh, the year so far. I just loved uh, the trailer. It was so much fun. Yeah, though I will say I think one of the big reveals was obviously at the very end when... Again, spoiler alert, hop out now if you don't want to know anything, but you have Eleven seemingly making her way back into the real world. Again, we don't know if her getting rid of the Demogorgon sort of banned her to the upside down. It kind of seems like it or some other world, but she literally reaches through. So she's back, you know, I think much to Mike's enjoyment, though. Who knows? I don't know who this uh, young Santa Stark looking redhead girl is. But maybe there's a possible love triangle going on there. Well, and with uh, the Friday the 13th trailer that was just released, um, we kind of see other uh, moments with Eleven where she looks older and has, you know, curly hair. Um, so I, I definitely, because this, this uh, Stranger Things 2 takes place a year after the, or almost a year after the events of uh, the first season. Um, so, you know, this, the, the scene that's at the end of the Comic-Con trailer could be like an immediately after we last saw Eleven. Um, and then kind of jumping to uh, present day for some of the other uh, moments that we saw with Eleven in the Friday the 13th trailer. Yeah, it's interesting thinking about, like you said, uh, considering we have Eleven making her way into the real world, but we also have, as you said in that second trailer, Eleven has this big curly bouffant, and she's, you know, we see her making her way to that little compartment in the woods where Hopper had left her food at the very end of the first season. So... I like your theory. Maybe there's out of order stuff where we see maybe a flashback of her coming through and in the month since everything happened, she sort of has just been hiding in the woods the entire time. Yeah. Uh, sort of like keeping to herself for some reason, but she's also gone like very, I don't know, very uh, Henry David Thoreau. She seems very to herself. She's a yes. woman of the woods. Yes. It, it definitely seems she's going on her own journey. She's um, Rambo. <laughs> and and don't know how that will play into the other characters. We do see, see some new characters. You mentioned the young redhead. Uh, apparently there's going to be a new uh, bad guy that's a, a, a teenager bad guy, um, uh, which I think is the brother of that young redhead, I believe. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to be pretty much uh, one of those prototypical Stephen King evil humans. Um, uh, and then um, you have Paul Reiser, um, who I, maybe is kind of subbing in for the Brenner role, um, or at least representing uh, the government-type characters. Um, and their inspiration for this Paul Reiser character was Paul Reiser's uh, role in Aliens. Um, so we know how that played out. That'll be interesting to see um, that dynamic. Um, and then you have Sean Astin. Uh, yes! Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, is he really in it? Sean Astin yeah. is in it as uh, Joyce's Rudy. love interest. So, yeah, um, he plays he plays like a a doctor, I guess. Uh, which I don't know. I I mean the the obvious uh, Tolkien fan in me loves seeing Sean Astin in here, if only because I hope he tells Will eventually. You know, like Will says, uh, you've got to I don't know, uh, you've got to get this worm out of me. And he says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. <laughs> as he goes up to the gate carrying Will. But again, I, I love I love the inclusion of Sean Astin here because you know there's obviously uh, inspiration from Goonies in uh, in this series, um, so having him there uh, is awesome. Of course, you know Rudy, Lord of the Rings, uh, just uh, play. He has played many uh, uh, an iconic character, so uh, excited for him to be joining it. Uh, but it'll be curious to see because I know a lot of people have shipped uh, Hopper and Joyce. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, that dynamic um, with Sean Astin's character and Joyce dating. Uh, which I think will be interesting. But uh, I th- any other thoughts on the trailers? We'll kind of wrap up there uh, as uh, we uh, you know say goodbye and, and get ready for uh, Stranger Things too. The other thing that I'll mention is that you know there is uh, and this is a lot of speculation. So again, tune out if you don't want to know too much about this. 
but there seems to be some sort of, I don't know, spider-like, spindly yeah. creature that seems to be the new sort of demogorgon, the new big bad that will... I don't know if he's, like, predicting it or if he sees it with his flashes to the upside down. We're not entirely sure, but I think it's almost foreshadowed in a way. You know, at the very beginning of, the, of season one, they're facing down a demogorgon, and that's what they decide to sort of call the creature that they eventually encounter, where they encounter at the end of season one a Thessal Hydra. And for those of you that are sort of, like, into the Dungeons & Dragons lore, uh, there's sort of, like, this idea of, like, the Thessal monsters. And I think, actually... I don't know if it's officially confirmed, but they, they, I think they might be calling this creature the Thessal Hydra, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I have not, I've read articles. I've been trying to like not read too much. So I'm not too spoiled, uh, but it would make sense. It's it definitely has multiple uh, seeming heads and arms and everything like that. So uh, that would be I, it. It'd be cool if they kind of kept on with that uh, nomenclature uh, for uh, how they name the uh, different uh, beings that they're going up against. Yeah, and it's also it's also much much bigger. Than the yes. Demogorgon. So they might have to call in, I don't know, some sort of kaiju to yes. take it down at the end of the day. But uh, yeah, the stakes have increased very much so for season two, if, if this is any indication. Or or another um, or another 80s reference, they'll, they'll bring Voltron in to, to face yes. him, um against this being. Um, but uh, either way, really excited for this season um, and excited uh, to see uh, these first episodes. Colleen and I are doing a Halloween party where we'll watch the first uh, two episodes uh, so excited for that um, we will be podcasting about it on uh, Monday so it should be up Monday night uh, for anybody that is watching uh, the show again we will be doing two episodes per podcast uh, since it's kind of been recent that it, it, we found out it's nine episodes we, I don't know if we'll do three in the last one or maybe we'll split it out to two and then one for the last we'll kind of see how that plays out but uh, we'll tell you as it goes along. But definitely expect uh, the first two chapters from Stranger Things 2. That's what we'll be talking about on our next podcast. Give us a call at 385-309-0311 or give us an email at strangerthingsjjm at gmail.com if you want to give your theories as it goes along. But again, we'll be only uh, watching and talking about the first two episodes. Uh, so if you do give feedback, keep it spoiler free. All maybe, right. maybe, maybe, maybe what people can do is, like, especially if you're writing in an email... Uh, put the episode you're talking about in the title of the yeah, email. There you go. Uh, that way, so like if you if you say, "Oh, I have a note, uh, I have some, a theory about episode four of season two, you can send it to us right when you think about it. But that way, when we're reviewing the emails, we don't have to click into it and read through it to figure out, you know, what you're referring to and possibly spoil ourselves for what's to come. Boom! There you go, Mike. I like it. I like it. All Good right. job, Mike. Um, that will do it for this episode. Uh, again, we'll be back next week, just right into season two, uh, and it will be a lot of fun. Uh, check out our other shows, janejack.com slash iTunes. Mike, where can people find you? At a Mike Bloom type, I do podcasts about Survivor. Uh, I just did a RuPaul's Drag Race podcast. I cover movies on the Hamster Factor. We're talking about the Duke for Halloween. I am... Not excited to watch that, considering Dang. how much I hate jump scares, but I will do it. Uh, and if you want to check out other stuff in the Bloom family, my wife Angela was actually just on post-show recaps with Rob Cesarino talking about Star Trek Discovery. She is one of the biggest Trekkies I know, and it's a really fun podcast, so check that out. Boom. Well, there you go. Awesome. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Hasta luego, and goodbye. Bye. Bye.